You're listening to the Propane Fitness Podcast, your ultimate resource for fat loss and muscle gain with none of the gimmicks. With your hosts, Yusuf and Johnny. Simple rules, dramatic results. This is the audio version of my 12-week estrogen experiment article. There's lots of pretty pictures in the article, so if you're driving, make sure to check back in the show notes for the link for full results, including photos, blood test results, and some exclusive VIP videos about how to optimize your testosterone. So this article is the result of my recent experiment to answer one question. Can you influence serum testosterone by eliminating artificial estrogens from your environment? Introduction. Estrogens in your environment. Are they ruining your gains? I've been down another rabbit hole recently. After reading Dr. Anthony Jay's work and doing a podcast with him, I started to see the extent to which we are exposed to environmental estrogens and what hormonal disruption is doing to us as a population. Cancer, obesity, infertility, and even allergies. The problem with estrogen is that it's subtle. There's a time lag. It causes epigenetic modifications, functionally altering your DNA long term. It's not like being spiked with caffeine where you'd instantly feel something. Being exposed to environmental estrogens doesn't mean that you'll have an instant urge to dive under the blanket and to watch Sex in the City, tearfully shoveling in the Haagen-Dazs. It's worse. What it does do over the long term is hamper your muscle gain and fat loss progress. As drug-free lifters, especially if we've trained for some time, we cannot afford to take chances with our hormones. Testosterone is precarious at the best of times, and if any one of your diet, training, or recovery is not at 100%, your testosterone will absolutely suffer. What is estrogen? There's a lovely picture of the estrogen molecule. Note that there's a benzene ring. This is what interacts with the estrogen receptor to trigger all of its downstream effects. Now look at the BPA molecule, also in the show notes in the link there. One of the main compounds that we're heavily exposed to, and it's used in plastics and resins, it has two benzene rings. It's like the T2000 version of estrogen. It acts strongly on the receptor, but is much more difficult to destroy or to break down by the body. There are some well-documented biological trends that point towards these direct effects of estrogen on a population level. Reduced sperm count, rates of erectile dysfunction, metabolic syndrome, insulin resistance, mitochondrial dysfunction. The evidence for these effects is growing to a point that it is becoming indisputable. If you're interested, I'd encourage you to read Dr. Anthony Jay's book for more data. It is hypothesized that the recent buildup of estrogen analogues in our environment has produced feminizing effects on a cellular level. The effects are more pronounced in prepubescent or adolescent boys who are more developmentally susceptible to hormone disruptors. Even plant estrogens, such as lavender oil, have been shown to cause gynecomastia or delay puberty in children. There are, of course, alternative hypotheses. Historians posit a more psychosocial cause of this feminization, the Industrial Revolution. Boys being brought up in increasingly female-dominated environments, households and schools, where their fathers were mostly absent, now either in industrial work or at war, leaving boys to be socialised almost exclusively by women in their early years. I occasionally receive angry comments claiming that these kind of ideas are misogynistic. If you're offended by that, I think you'll find that that's your misogyny speaking. No value judgments here about femininity or masculinity. This is a fitness website, and my concern is the effect of oestrogens on your health and your physique, 
Nobody wants to be drugged against their wishes. By now, I am fully aware that I sound like this, and there is a picture of a man with a tinfoil hat. I didn't want this estrogen stuff to be true. Not least because I'm busy, man. I want life to be simple. I want to be able to eat and train and not worry that I'm driving with the handbrake on or by inadvertently ingesting these anti-androgens. As you know, our motto is simple rules, dramatic results. Up until now, I believed that worrying about things like hormone optimization was getting really caught in the weeds and obsessing over the minutiae. Most people would say, if this is real, it's probably only negligible amounts anyway. Wrong. Unfortunately not. The sheer doses that we are exposed to from artificial estrogens are no joke, and it's quite difficult to avoid. If you're sceptical, I don't blame you. But ask yourself, would you take the oral contraceptive pill for a laugh? Probably not. You'd certainly prefer that your estrogen is within the normal physiological range, and right now it most likely isn't. These compounds strongly bind to the estrogen receptor and they accumulate. Our livers are not equipped to excrete them. This news might piss you off. Consider how large the supplement industry is. Consider how huge a proportion of that is men trying to optimize their testosterone, testosterone boosters, anabolic steroids, pro-hormones, selective androgen reuptake modulators, selective estrogen reuptake modulators. Meanwhile, we are getting systematically estrogenized on the other end. Bit of a hole in the bucket, if you ask me. There's also a diagram here from examine.com that shows the different levels of exposure to BPA and the effects that it has on the body, ranging from very low levels, causing a decrease in male sperm production, all the way up to increasing prostate size, uh, early onset of sexual maturity in women, altered immune function, decrease in maternal behavior, and changes in the brain. Are you losing your mojo? Most men approaching 30 have a secret suspicion that they are losing their mojo. Occam's razor would suggest that much of this is likely to be age-related. You no longer feel like quite as much of the young buck spring chicken with lead in your pencil, fire in your belly, and spring in your step. I'm only 28, but I've already noticed a palpable decline in my energy levels, sex drive, and capacity to gain muscle over the last few years. Most men of my age report a similar experience. I'm not quick to pin this down to estrogen, necessarily. I am older. I'm juggling more plates than I was when I was at 20. I'm more stressed. I'm closer to my genetic potential muscle mass. There's any number of reasons why I feel this way. But after speaking to Dr. Anthony J, you do start to think, wouldn't it be nice to at least rule out the chance that we're poisoning ourselves? For the sake of making a few mildly inconvenient substitutions, it's quite a win if you find out for sure. Worst case scenario, it makes for an interesting article. Hence, I ran this little experiment to see whether taking steps to minimize my exposure to environmental estrogens has an effect on my blood levels of testosterone. The experiment. I took two blood tests, male hormone panel, 12 weeks apart, eliminating many causes of environmental estrogens as advised by Dr. J. My blood test was the Male Hormone Plus, provided by Medichex, a fantastic company. They allow you to do a simple capillary test with a fast turnaround and a great dashboard and user interface online, as well as a doctor's letter to help you to interpret the results. My blood tests were taken at the same time of day, under similar circumstances, fed state, sleep length, training state, etc. During the 12 weeks, I didn't significantly change my training, sleep, or supplementation routine. I didn't start drinking or smoking, 
I didn't alter my egg intake or sexual frequency or meditation practice. I cannot normalize for external stress as I did step into my final medical year and so it's undoubtedly been a more stressful period. Eliminating estrogens. The next step was to eliminate my daily exposure to estrogens. Simple enough to find and remove the estrogen containing products from my life, right? Unless you realize how much stuff contains estrogen analogues. These come in the form of fragrances, plastics, food additives, particular plant foods, receipts, polyester clothing, canned foods, carpeted floors, vinyl floors, essential oils, animal feed additives, corned beef, uh, corn-fed beef as well, uh, dairy, sunscreens, pollutants, pesticides, laundry powders, fragrances, tap water, and pretty much every cosmetic product. Great. No problem, guys. I'll just go and live in a cave and forage for wild mountain fish. Oh, wait. There's a study that shows that even mountain stream fish in Switzerland are becoming intersex with elevated levels of serum BPA. Estrogens that you should look out for. Plant estrogens include flax, soy, lavender, and tea tree. Artificial estrogens include bisphenol A, which is BPA, full-fat dairy, phthalates, parabens, pesticides, insecticides, atrazine, benzophenones, and any plastics with recycling codes 1, 3, 6, and 7. In the US, atrazine is the big one. It's a pesticide that is banned in the EU. In the UK, plastics and phthalates are the highest yield things to eliminate. In particular, heating food in plastic is the big one. Oestrogen and its analogues are lipophilic and dissolve particularly well into fatty foods, even more so when they're heated. So even things like getting into a hot car on a sunny day increases your exposure. When you microwave food, like in Tupperware for example, there is a 1 to 300 times the amount of BPA that is released into the food than if you were to eat it cold. Product substitutions. So here are the products that I was using and the substitutions that I made. So there's a full table here. Um, it ranges from using a lavender oil bed spray and oil burner, um, happy hippie uh, lush shower gel, herbal essences shampoo, cheap coffee, cologne, semi-skimmed milk, toothpaste, wax candles, carpeted and vinyl floor, rubbing receipts all over my face, uh, washing up liquid, plastic protein shaker, skin creams, uh, plastic Tupperware, Teflon Teflon rice cooker, and Daz Biological washing powder detergent. So what I switched these for was to use Olbas oil rather than lavender oil, e-cover washing up liquid as shower gel, not to use any shampoo, switching instant coffee for green tea, which has anti-estrogenic properties, spraying cologne onto my clothes rather than onto my skin, tip picked up from Dr. J, using skimmed or red top milk, euthymol as my toothpaste choice, switching paraffin candles for beeswax candles, wearing socks in the house rather than uh, being barefoot. If someone asks me, would you like to keep a receipt? I say, no, keep your filthy estrogen paper to yourself, using e-cover washing up liquid as my regular washing up liquid, using a steel protein shaker, uh, Ikea glass Tupperware and e-cover detergent. Also the Instant Pot was my new choice of pressure cooker rather than the Teflon one, Teflon one because uh, this is made of stainless steel. So doing all of this I gained a bitter cynicism trying to find alternatives here. Finding products that aren't just substituting one oestrogen with another is close to impossible. 
Even the ostensibly paraben-free, phthalate-free products employ sneaky tactics as part of this apparently global insistence to make life as estrogenic as possible. Some of the sneaky tactics that they would use. Advertising as paraben-free, yet fully laden with phthalates. Advertising as phthalate-free, yet laden with parabens. It's the old sugar-free butter trick all over again, or fat-free marshmallows. Phthalate-free and paraben-free, yet hiding more powerful estrogen analogues under the bracket of parfum in the ingredient list. The Trade Labelling Act allows manufacturers to hide proprietary blends under the term parfum or fragrance. Many companies see this as a legal loophole to sneak in some of the nastier compounds under the guise of fragrance, specifically BHT, oxybenzone, phthalates and octinoxate. Then, when you finally do find an all-natural product that is free of parfums, phthalates and parabens, they're plant-based and they're made entirely from flax, with two flavour choices, lavender or grapefruit. Is this some kind of big hilarious prank? I was previously using the Lush Shower Gel, a company that markets itself as a mostly plant-based and additive-free. Unfortunately, they could be just as bad or worse, according to this website, who looked into some of the products within Lush and found that 83 Lush products contain parabens. As you can see by reading the ingredients list, many Lush products contain questionable ingredients that have been banned or restricted in other countries. Lush products need harsh preservatives, such as parabens, because their products are mostly made from water. While we might read water and think, oh great, water is the most natural ingredient ever, what it really means is that the product requires strong preservatives to prevent moulding. That is why when natural companies use water in their products but claim they do not use any synthetic preservatives, we know that they are lying. It's a sneaky corporate trick that companies play because they don't have to be totally honest about their ingredients. And it gets worse. Wearing clothes washed with regular detergents contains sufficiently large amounts of estrogen to impact our blood concentrations. Many cosmetics also contain propylene glycol, an additive used to improve the absorption into the skin. Remember that hormonal agents are able to be transdermally absorbed, and they are often prescribed in such a form. Propylene glycol further enhances the ability of estrogenic compounds to get into your bloodstream. Shower gels, skin moisturizers, even lube. Nothing is sacred. Rubbing a synthetic estrogen cocktail directly into your gonads. Oh, but of course, the paraben-free alternatives use benzophenones instead. And then the all-natural alternatives are entirely flax-based and five times the price. Pick your poison. We must accept that cosmetic and fragrance manufacturers do not give a hoot. It's not a great conspiracy, simply that the cost-benefit of creating a nice-smelling washing-up liquid that's cheap is the priority to the manufacturer. Not their problem if you develop man-boobs. But as Dr. J says, who the hell really needs scented dishes? It's absolutely gratuitous. I'm not a chemist, and so in attempting to make these substitutions, I still couldn't be 100% sure that the products that I was using were squeaky clean. For example, I used e-cover washing up liquid as the closest estrogen-free substitution that I could find. While it has fewer estrogenic additives, it still contains the mysterious parfum and sodium laureth sulfate under the term anionic surfactants. It is truly ridiculous how much digging is required here, even for someone that is A, scientifically literate, and B, obsessional enough to follow this through. I asked them, but I'm yet to receive an answer. 
Plastics. It's cool, bro. I'll just use those BPA-free plastics. Oh, wait, there's a quote in this study that says, BPAF, BPB, BPF, and BPS have been shown to exhibit estrogenic or anti-androgenic activities similar to or greater than that of BPA. So even the BPA-free plastics that have the new substitutes can be just as bad. Tap water. What about things that we eat or drink? Our water sanitation systems are great for cleaning bacteria, but not so great for estrogens, which, funnily enough, is quite a robust molecule. Consequently, estrogen concentrations gradually increase as we recycle the same water through the systems. Plastics, animal manure, and the contraceptive pill. What can you do about it? Well, you could get a water filter. The best ones remove about half of the estrogen. Oh, wait, no, of course, they're made of plastic as well. Okay, I'll just stick with bottled water. Uh, okay, I'll just drink milk. Oh, no. So, it's pretty tough. Anthony recommended this one to me linked in the show notes, that grabs 99.9% of estrogens, but unfortunately it's only available in the US. I couldn't find a suitable water filter in the UK, so I didn't change anything about my tap water consumption. The estrogen burden from tap water in Europe is slightly less than that of the USA, and water is chlorinated in my area, which does help to eliminate birth control estrogens specifically. Unfortunately, these are only a small percentage of the total estrogen load, and chlorination doesn't clear out some of the plastic-related ones. If I did have access to one, a barky water filter would have guaranteed a more complete elimination. There's a diagram here that shows the levels of estrogen in tap water over the years, and you can see that it is steadily rising. But Yusuf, what about the planet? Don't get me started. Manufacturing waste and recycling is a regulatory problem and not a consumer one. When manufacturers are mopping up oil spills with baby seals because they're incentivized to do so, Expecting the odd consumer to voluntarily go the extra mile to recycle is the limpest attempt at saving the planet. It's equivalent to turning up to an earthquake with a dustpan and brush and skirts around the real culprits. Policymakers must align incentives of producer and consumer, which can only be done when biohazards become totally indisputable and the policy is forced to change. Until then, I subscribe to Sean Locke's pissing in the wind mentality towards recycling. Check the video in the show notes. I hate this. Why couldn't endorphin waste have been one of the... Why couldn't environmental waste, rather, be been one of the fun hormones like endorphin or testosterone? I'd even settle for thyroxine. At least then we'd all be getting shreddy and nervous rather than impotent and booby. The reason is that oil fractions and plastic derivatives are so ubiquitously used in packaging, food production, cosmetics, and construction. These hydrocarbons all share an unfortunate chemical property, the benzene ring. That's what causes them to interact with the estrogen receptor. A side note on shampoo, by the way. I don't have a whole lot of hair. I struggle to find an appropriate substitute for shampoo online, so rather than risk the buggering up of my experiment by accidentally using an estrogenic shampoo for my entire two grams of hair, I thought this would be a good chance to test the claims of the no-poo movement. Yep, that is indeed a thing. It's a hippy-dippy, evangelically anti-shampoo movement online that makes the following claims. A quote from nopoomethod.com There is nothing strange about washing with water only. The act of stripping our hair of natural oils every day, aka shampooing, often with harsh chemicals, is more bizarre. But this has become normal practice over the century. This results in oil overload, greasy hair, and then we attempt to fix with more shampoo. 
It's a vicious cycle and a brilliant coup for the shampoo industry because the more shampoo you use, the more you need to use and the more frequently you will need to use it. In a nutshell, you use warm water in the shower or tub, massaging your scalp with your fingertips to release dirt and excess oil. The warmer the water, the more oil will wash out. It's important, however, to end with cold in order to close the hair cuticle and reduce frizz. So I tested a similarly evangelical group's raving claims recently by sleeping on the floor for four months. Surprise, surprise, I also didn't notice much difference. And with regard to the no poo experiment, also didn't notice too much. So the results. You can see the table of my results from my measurements on the show notes on the website um, and also my blood test results as well. And you can see what's happened over there. Interestingly, in the first test, my free testosterone was below the reference range. That's not good. Remember, these ranges cater to all normal men from the 18 year old to the 70 year old man. Dr. J's interpretation was as follows. I'm not going to put on his accent. Regarding the lab results, you're obviously a beast in terms of muscle mass. I saw the pictures. But because this is your starting point, you're not going to gain a huge jump in your hormone changes by removing artificial estrogens. Muscle mass buffers much of the body's potential hormone drama. It also takes time to see changes, as we discussed, because of epigenetic printing. Imprinting. But you gave it some time between tests. All that being said, everything trended in the expected direction quite significantly for n equals 1. Total testosterone is up, free testosterone is up, natural estrogen is up as well, which sometimes goes the opposite way, but it is common to see an initial estrogen rise. On that topic, having higher natural estrogen is likely to due to two things. One, it could be a gene issue for CYP1B1, where you're not breaking down estrogen properly, or a similar gene, and you need aromatase inhibitors to truly optimize this. Alternatively, if you have good estrogen metabolism genes, it's almost certainly a temporary feedback response in the body. You were previously suppressing natural estrogen production, production via artificial estrogen chemicals because signal was so high. If you had combined all of your artificial estrogen burden, your artificial blood levels would be well over 500,000 uh, pmol per litre range. Now, you've quickly dropped that massive estrogenic burden. Your cells were accustomed to having a, a certain amount of estrogen, and they've diminished their sensitivity to it. When that input radically dropped, your body has created more estrogen because your feedback systems are saying, levels are rapidly dropping, quickly make more. If this scenario is the case, your natural levels will soon equalize and then drop after a few more months, maybe six months. Hard to say with n equals one and potential day-to-day -day variation, but this is all interesting data. Final depressing caveat. At the Mayo Clinic, I work with a physiology scientist who tells me that if you only take one muscle biopsy, the variation is so high that you can't trust the data. He said in the experiments that, you, that um, he did, he discovers you need, need 10 muscle biopsies to get a single accurate trustworthy result. That is 10 holes punched into your muscle. There's no way that's happening, except in animals. You wouldn't have any muscle left after that study. So there is just a caveat on limited sample size variability. So that's what Dr. J had to say. However, I was not particularly symptomatic to begin with. And so if you attempt this experiment, your results might vary depending on your individual level of exposure and how sensitive you are. 
I didn't tend to wake up with brain fog and never really suffered from digestive issues or allergies or gynecomastia. Most traumatically, however, I did lose a centimetre on my biceps over the 12 weeks. I would put this down more to training frequency and my training focus, which has changed over that time, and also a centimetre may not be significant. The two blood tests were taken at the same time of day, similar circumstances, etc. And uh, mood, and I didn't train that morning either. Hey, Johnny here. Just a really quick interruption to this episode to let you know about a resource we now have up and running on propinfitness.com. One of the most popular questions we get from readers and listeners is, hey guys, what would you recommend for my starting calories for fat loss and muscle gain? How much protein, carbs, fat? How many calories should I eat to begin my journey as a starting point? Normally, this is something that we do for clients when they come into our program, The Propane Protocol. But recently, we have opened up the calculator that we use for all of our clients so that you can get a free calculation, a free starting point of what we would recommend if you were to start as a client with us for your protein, carbs, fats, and calories overall for either fat loss or muscle gain, customized to you and your goal. If you want to get access to that, it is totally free. You just have to go to propanefitness.com forward slash calculator, enter your information, and we will send your macros and your calorie recommendations to that email address. And we'll also send you a few free resources over email just to pad that out and ensure that you have the best possible chances of reaching your goals in fat loss and muscle gain. Hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. So interpretation. Subjectively speaking, I don't feel particularly different before and after. But some important considerations. Number one, I was ostensibly healthy to start with. I've never been a particularly heavy user of cosmetics, tin foods or plastics. And number three, I'm fortunate enough to live in the UK where some of the more estrogenic additives such as atrazine are banned. Now, as with many optimization interventions, the greatest gains are seen when you take somebody out of a dysfunctional state and into a functional one. For example, noob gains. When you begin someone who is normally completely sedentary and start them on a resistance training program, going from extreme inactivity to frequent targeted activity, that produces massively increasing marginal returns. Similarly, the missionary NoFap community online, many of them are claiming almost superhuman powers of more productivity, better muscle growth, more confidence, magnetic attractiveness to women, and all of that stuff. Of course, if you go from spending four hours a day masturbating to 100% NoFap, then you freed up four hours a day. You're more confident because you can now look people in the eye. It's no mystery. Sobriety, another example. One year, no beer. The benefits that are seen from going sober are proportional to how much the dysfunction that alcohol was producing in your life to start with. If you were a light drinker to begin with, you can't really expect huge progress, huge gains. Weight loss. Somebody who is obese at 200 kilos can lose a phenomenal amount of weight in a short time, even if they're just eating 3,000 calories a day. Limitations. So this wasn't a particularly rigorous study, but that was kind of the point. The question that I wanted to answer was whether reducing estrogens had any effect in a real-world situation, and if it could be heard above the noise. In hindsight, I still should have been more rigorous. You don't eat your target protein intake because you can feel it working, you simply know that on balance of evidence, it supports that as the optimal amount for muscle growth. <coughs> so given the subtleties here, 
I really should have gone full quantified self and measured as many parameters as possible over the year. Mood, sleep time, multiple hormone panels, Z tests on training volume and progression, and stress. My training volume and progress didn't change exceptionally from baseline. I wasn't expecting superhuman gains though given my training age, and my level of stress and anxiety dropped a couple of points on a spot check subjectively out of 10, but this is not simple to reliably track with a chaotic life. Life moves in waves and I'd switched my meditation practice out for a morning lying relaxation practice, as per Kit Lachlan's advice. Um, Libido is no different from baseline and morning wood frequency wasn't tracked frequently enough to draw out anything meaningful. Also, my product substitutions were imperfect as well. Cosmetics that I used still contained some xenoestrogens, given how nigh on impossible it is to eliminate them completely, but I certainly reduced my overall exposure. And, then, and this is also confirmed by the direction of the blood results. One thing to be aware of is regression to the mean, so multiple tests would have certainly been more accurate. If you want to replicate this experiment my, yourself, my advice to you is to track as much as possible, take multiple blood tests and draw out a trend line and effect size, and to follow my recommendations below, for product substitutions. So recommendations. Whether or not you are convinced by my results, we know that there is a clear mechanism for environmental estrogens to fundamentally change our cellular physiology. This is not up for question. At this point, the question is, can you influence your serum estrogen or testosterone from reducing environmental ones within your control? And that answer appears to be yes. Product recommendations. After hours of sifting through ingredient labels of many products, here are my recommendations for UK readers particularly. Shower gel. So I fruitlessly tried to get in contact with eCover and a paraben-free company called Mancave, but I can't confirm all of their ingredients are estrogen-free. So my recommendation is Suma Cinnamon and Orange Soap, or if you have sensitive skin, psoriasis or eczema, unscented goat's milk soap seems to get good reviews and has no dodgy looking ingredients. For a slow cooker or a pressure cooker, the Instant Pot has a stainless steel pot with no Teflon surfaces. This is absolutely one of the best purchases that I've made. No fuss, safer than the old style pressure cookers, <clears throat> and it even turns cheap cuts of meat into fall off the bone flavoursome meat. White wine rosemary chicken with sweet potato is one of my favourites and it takes about 10 seconds to prepare. <clears throat> my voice is going. So all of the links to any of these products are included in the show notes as well if you want to run through them. Tupperware. So there's a range from Ikea that I use which is all made of Pyrex and it is perfect to portion out the instant pot bulk meal prep that I, uh, that I make and put it into there. It's all quite cheap and you only have to get it once. Um, tea. So green tea appears to accelerate estrogen metabolism and thus lowering your blood levels. So for plain green tea, I recommend tea pigs or my personal choice is a certain brand of jasmine tea linked in the article. Toothpaste. So I used euthymol, which is based on thyme oil, hence the name, but it still does contain sodium lauryl sulfate. So I have found one by Botanique, cinnamon toothpaste, and it's affordable and free from parabens, SLS, and fluoride. So there's the link in there as well. Beeswax candles. Now these have two benefits. 
Number one, they are non-estrogenic. So compared to the standard paraffin or double estrogen whammy frangle, uh, frangled, <laughs> uh, double estrogen whammy fragranced candles, um, they are certainly superior to them. Also, they release negative ions into the air when burned. The data shows that these help to sweep up environmental pollutants. They help to improve mood, reaction time, and potentially recover from exercise and stress from computer use. Essential oils. Two to absolutely avoid are tea tree and lavender for their estrogenic properties. There's a blend that I recommend here that includes blue spruce, frankincense, and chamomile, which all have support in the literature for increasing testosterone, improving joint pain, and having selective estrogen reuptake modulator-like activities, respectively. So that is all very helpful and really is the opposite of something like lavender oil. Steel shaker. So I got one from the Protein Works. You can use my code for a free bag of whey, all included on the show notes. Detergent. There are two options. So I now use e-cover detergent, but for a longer term solution, it's worth looking into the eco egg. I've not used it myself and cruelly one of their flavors is lavender, um, but there is a fragrance free option as well. Deodorant. So again, Man Cave haven't responded to my email, so I can't ascertain what Parfum is in their ingredients, and they're probably unlikely to tell me if it's a proprietary blend. Either way, um, the Man Cave deodorant is the best estrogen-free one that I've found so far, and it smells heavenly. Realistically, you cannot fully eliminate your exposure. The good news is that these compounds accumulate and they act in a dose-dependent manner. So picking the highest yield stuff first and minimizing your exposure will still absolutely be beneficial. It's then up to you as to how far you want to take this, how much inconvenience you're willing to personally endure. What you can do on a more world-changing level is to lobby your local council, sign petitions, and encourage research and awareness into the effect of these compounds. Let us fill the world with gains again, my friend. So what else can you do? Number one, the low-hanging fruit. Eliminate obvious sources of estrogen using those substitutions that I've recommended. Sweat. As you've seen, BPA is not, regu- is not easily excreted by the body's natural roots, but it is through sweat. So the most reliable way to do this is with a full-spectrum infrared sauna, which guarantees the range of benefits. But if you don't have access to one, regular sauna also has several multi-system benefits too. Number two, avoid cannabis and alcohol. These are real killers for your testosterone. If you're a big user, you need to ask yourself which is more important to you. Number three, build muscle. So not a new concept if you read Propane Fitness. Uh, Fortunately, you can do a lot to inoculate yourself against many nasties and even eliminate or even uh, reduce your risk of all-cause mortality by building muscle. Staying lean on the other side of the coin is also helpful to protect yourself against the estrogen burden. As you've seen from the fat estrogen cycle, endogenous estrogen is produced by fat cells via aromatase and xenoestrogen are stored in adipocytes. So you've got another double whammy. Staying lean avoids this. And you have the cycle here, which basically puts you into this horrible spiral from obesity and higher and higher levels of estrogen, reduction in muscle mass, worsening body composition, etc. Number two, the fruit further up the tree. So if you want a more thorough elimination approach, 
You can follow Anthony's gold plan. I've linked that in the show notes. <clears throat> and number three, testosterone. So some things that you can further do to optimize your testosterone specifically. And we've included some exclusive VIP videos from the propane protocol group. So that is how to optimize it with age versus alcohol and what type of training improves your testosterone the most. Finally, supplementation. Number one is ashwagandha. This is an ancient herb that has stood the test of time and demonstrated cortisol modulating effects, potentially increasing testosterone. I've used this myself for sleep, both on its own and in NeuroChill, which is a blend by the guys at Mind Nutrition. Use the code PROPANE for 10% off. Boron. Um, so there is a couple of studies that show that this may help reduce sex hormone binding globulin and thus have a positive effect on testosterone. Really, there's more research needed on this. I wouldn't personally go out and hammer the boron just yet. However, ZMA, zinc and magnesium aspartate, is an important mineral to supplement with. If you're deficient, then you are costing yourself in testosterone. It's well supported in the evidence for improving testosterone and sleep. Uh, I personally use the bulk powders one for the best value. The only downside is that you will need to sleep on your back. So there are some xenoestrogens that are beyond your control. Air fresheners at work or in shops. Uh, some plastics and food packaging is unavoidable as well. The best that we can hope for without becoming Ben Greenfield is to reduce your total oestrogen burden. The recommendations above hedge your bets with minimum hassle. If you prefer to do things systematically, remember to get some blood tests done. If you use the code PROPANE10 with MediChecks, you'll get 10% off. And measure as many variables as you can, and then retest. And I'm very keen to hear your results, and if you can let me know, I'll certainly add them to the article as well. So what are my plans going forward? Most of the substitutions for me were quite easy to make, so I'm not planning on switching back to the more estrogenic but nicer smelling cosmetics, detergents, etc. My plans are as follows. Switching shower gel to Suma soaps, because I recently realised that e-cover washing up liquid was not really the most suitable choice. Secondly, finding an alternative essential oil. So while I did sub out the definitively estrogenic lavender oil, I perhaps stupidly replaced it with Olbas oil, a mixture of eucalyptus, clove, juniper and menthol. The estrogenic activity of eucalyptus is still inconclusive, and if I'm going to be diffusing and inhaling something on a regular basis, I think it's prudent to err on the side of safety. So I'll be using the blend that I link in the show notes from now on. I've also been asked about my thoughts on clomiphene and tamoxifen. These are selective estrogen reuptake modulators, and they would act at the receptor to reduce the effect of estrogens. Many biohackers, including Serge Faget, uh, use these with some success in improving the testosterone and its proxy measures. <clears throat> now, while that stuff is indeed very tempting, the problem is this. Serms can indeed upregulate your estrogen receptor density long-term, leaving you in a worse situation where you're sensitized to the effects of estrogen when you come off. So, unanswered questions. Number one, something I'd love to know is what is the relative importance of topical compared to ingested estrogens? And why are manufacturers so insistent on sneaking them in? Number two, to what extent of the estrogens that we are exposed to within our control compared to environmental pollutants and so on, and are we pissing in the wind by comparison? Number three, 
if drugs such as tamoxifen and clomiphene or aromatase inhibitors are off the cards, is there a potential role for a new class of drugs such as fulvestrant, which is a selective estrogen reuptake degrader and actually destroys the receptor entirely, um, in performance enhancer in the war against estrogen? These are all questions that I suppose we'll find out over the next few years. I hope this has been a useful listen for you. If you want any further reading, I would recommend listening to Dr. Anthony Jay's book, Estrogeneration, again linked in the show notes. There's also a list of his product substitutions, as well as my interview with him, uh, where he goes into this stuff in more depth from a biochemical perspective. And if you want to go through the full painstaking process of finding specific endocrine disruptors from ingredients and stuff that you use, then there are some indices and some links in the show notes as well where you can look through all of them. All right, guys, speak to you next week. Hey, Johnny again. Hope you enjoyed that episode of the Propin Fitness Podcast. We have a short request and a potential prize for you. If you enjoyed that episode, we'd love it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. It just helps the podcast reach more people and allows us to devote more resources and time to making this podcast better every single week. In return, we are going to be selecting one of the reviews, announcing it live on the podcast every single week, and sending you two of our programs completely free of charge, both Faster Fat Loss and the V-Taper program. One is obviously a fat loss program, eight weeks long. One is the V-Taper program, which is muscle gain focused on the upper body, designed to basically get you a massive bench press, huge chest, and a massive chin-up. Who doesn't want those things? So we're going to be sending both of those to the best review. And all you have to do in order to enter this prize draw to win those two programs is to head over to iTunes or head over to propinfitness.com to get the link for the podcast and then visit iTunes that way and leave us a short review with your honest feedback, your honest comments. Let us know what you think of the podcast, what we can do better, what you like, what you don't like, and you'll be automatically entered into the prize draw to win one of these programs. We'll see you on the next episode and we hope to be shouting your name out very soon. Shout, shout.